I didn't even know it at the time, but three TAs, uh, two in sociology and one in zoology decided, wow, if, if, if there is going to be a strike, someone should record it. And they got a 16 millimeter handheld film and the three of them walked all over the place during the strike filming it. That's legendary union organizer Bob Mullenkamp. In March 1970, the Teaching Assistance Association at the University of Wisconsin went out on strike for 24 days. It was the first TA strike in the history of the United States. The union went on to represent Wisconsin TAs for over 50 years. And the film that those students made back then has just been re-edited and re-released. So we sat down with Bob to talk about the strike, the film, and the labor movement today. Bob Mullenkamp wound up leading the Teaching Assistance Association and going on to a long career as a union organizer. He was the national organizing director at SEIU 1199, the hospital workers union, and then the Teamsters organizing director. I'm Chris Garlock. Here's Labor Goes to the Movies co-host Elise Bryant. Okay. Say, Bob, welcome, welcome, welcome to Labor Goes to the Movies. And Thank you. We had, we, Chris and I came up with this question because basically we both love movies. And we said, okay, let's just find out. Like, what was the first movie you remember watching? And, and, and it had, you know, whatever, whatever reason you remember because that's some impact on the very earliest remembrance of a movie that you could say that you said, oh, yeah. Well, uh, this may say a lot, <laughs> probably gone with the wind. Oh, wow. That's a first. That's a first. What do you, re- what do you remember about it? What sticks in your mind? Well, I grew up in Kentucky, um, very, uh, practicing Catholic family and environment, uh, parochial schools. And we were bust. How's that for a word to see gone with the wind almost every year in grade school. Wow. 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 How's that? That is. That's amazing. That, isn't that it, is isn't mind it amazing? blowing. That is mind is. blowing. I mean, we weren't bust anywhere. <laughs> That's right. That's exactly right. I mean, we had to walk. We, through we took the bus to school. school. The school put us on a bus to go see Gone with the Wind. Yeah, so, so, so why? why I, I'm completely, I, I, I don't get this. What, what was, what, why that movie? It wasn't, it wasn't just like. Oh, the, I, no, it was, it was the, uh, the, the South will rise again. The, 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 the South won the war, the whole revanchist ideology. So it's basically indoctrination. Uh, it was, I, I, I don't know if I want to use that word. I don't think they would have used that word. It would, it was, uh, how to think about, uh, uh, how, how to think about the past in America, Uh 
right? Oh, and what, what do you remember about the film? Like what, what stood out to you? Well, it's different now because it's mixed. I mean, you can remember at it. the time, yeah. at the time, it's hard to, un, it's hard to unbag that Elise from, you know, what we've all gone through thinking about things like that since then. So let me, let me try for a minute. Um, actually, I think the most vivid scene was probably the one, uh, in Atlanta, mm. right. After they take over Atlanta and they have all the, the, that vast cinema picture of, of the dead and the, th and the wounded and, mm -hmm. and everything, I, that was very dramatic. Mm -hmm. Uh, but then, then all the scenes at the plantation, you know, with the great house and everything. Mm -hmm. So how's that for an answer? That's great. It really yeah. is. And, 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 but so, so here's my question then. And, and, you know, the, it, it winds up being a really good question because it raises these kind of other issues. Right. But mm -hmm. so how do you go from being a kid who went to see gone with the wind every year to being, you know, uh, a legendary union organizer. I mean, what, what happened? Thank you. Uh, right there. Chris. <laughs> Go ahead, Bob. Tell well, it, it, you have to continue with, um, 17 years of Catholic schools, including eight years of Jesuits, eight uh -huh. years of Jesuits. Uh -huh. And so, uh, I, I didn't really get away from it until, uh, I left that background and uh, entirely, uh, and, you know, went away to school and then got involved in various movements at the time. But something happened, something happened in you that made you the type of person to jump into this activist pool at the age of what, 18, 17? No, no, this was later. This was in my early twenties. Hmm. No. No, I went through all the way through Jesuits without, uh, right, 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 right. You're in graduate school. You're a TA. Sorry. That's right. Right. Well, I had gone to the university of Chicago for my doctorate and I got involved there. And then I left there because I wanted to be a TA. So I left there. I just took a master's degree there and went to finish my doctorate at Wisconsin. So I could be a TA because I want, I wanted to see if I wanted to do this and they didn't have TA, they didn't have TAs at the university of Chicago. So, so wait, so, so what is a TA? I, I need some help here. Teaching assistant. Well, it's a teaching assistant. And basically, um, you had free tuition and got paid a modest amount of money. Uh, and you taught a couple of hours a day at, at Madison, the teaching assistants at Madison in the sixties, we taught two thirds of all classroom hours, undergraduate classroom hours. Professors, full professors taught one third of, of classroom hours to undergraduates. Yeah. That's amazing. So, so you guys have spent all the time in academia. My dad was an academic, but I didn't, I didn't really, you know, I mean, I sort of grew up in that world, but I didn't really understand it. So I'm, I'm, I'm always been confused by this because I thought that the professors did the teaching and then, you know, the TAs kind of, you know, like schlep books or, you know, I mean, teaching no. assist, teaching assistant. I mean, that, that, you know, it got to, they would give a lecture, a professor would give a lecture okay. for an hour a week. And then we would have two classroom hours with the students on, uh, uh discussing the lecture, discussing the readings, uh, taking giving the test, correcting the test, correcting the writing, all that stuff. We did all the work. Yeah. They gave a lecture an hour a week. 
TAs were the ones that were doing the work. They didn't have as much time to devote to their own studies because they were teaching. Mm -hmm. They sometimes had lower grades, and therefore, when cutbacks were made, they were the ones that were booted out, and people that had been on fellowship were then given the support, the TA contracts. Yes, that would be and those sort of things, you know, and then just mm -hmm. the idea that we had a right to a contract, we had a right to a grievance procedure, and all sorts of things that I had never thought about. You know, when you, mm -hmm. you seem so thankful when you come in as a graduate student, have any sort of support at all. It yes. was hard, it was a, an identity change, thinking of yourself as a worker rather mm -hmm. than as a student, sort of submissive to the faculty and doing what they said. And it was a gradual process for me, I think, too. But I, I just got indignant. And it was, it was, it was listening in the schedules, I remember, this lecture and recitation. And lecture oh, that could be. Yeah. Yeah. And the rest but here's, here's, here's where my real luck occurred, though, because this, our strike got a lot of publicity. And uh, through people who knew people, I was recruited af after the strike that year, before the strike, actually, I was recruited by 1199. Um, the legendary organizing director there, Leon Davis, was the president of 1199, and Elliot Cotto was the organizing director. And they recruited me to be an or become and be an organizer for the Hospital Workers Union. And that was really uh, uh, what changed my life entirely. So I want to go back, though, to to give some so how, how this strike happened, because yes. that, I mean, and also, I mean, you sort of started to get into it and explaining about, you know, with the teaching assistance. So you've got this situation where you've got one group of people that's doing a lot of work, not getting the pay. And we're not, we're not in the union. There were other unions around though, I guess, on the campuses. Is that right? Uh, the state of Wisconsin, I pretty sure passed the first state public employee act in the United States. Yes. So the campus workers belong to AFSCME. They did not honor our picket lines or have, mm. they, they, they didn't want to have anything to do with us. <laughs> Interesting. Very interesting. It was the it was the uh, it was the AFSCME workers at the University of Michigan that brought the university to their knees when they wouldn't cross our picket line. I see. Uh, the only union that, that did anything with us, and we met with the state federation. We met with everyone before we went on strike. Um, the the Teamster local in Madison honored our picket lines. Right. Right. Yeah. It was that very dramatic story um, when she talks about how the uh, supervisor or manager comes and takes over the truck and drives it in. Right. Right. Yeah. And the teamster, the guy who was driving the truck was, was heartbroken. That he right. Right. Out of the picket line. What this points up very clearly is that unless we have good picket lines, unless we refuse to let the police intimidate our picket lines, everything will come through. It's only when we establish good labor picket lines that we're going to stop things from coming through. Trucks are coming up, and they say, damn it, don't ask us to stop. If you tell us to stop, we can. And they're turning around and leaving. <laughs> yeah. So, so a couple of things. One is, and, and uh, you talked about this a little bit yesterday when you, when you met with my uh, Labor Film Fest directors group, but um, so, so there's these sort of two parallel stories. Uh, you know, there's this you know, people organizing, TAs organizing, 
uh, and then striking. But then, you know, this is 1970s. Now, people didn't have iPhones. Making, you know, filming was not an easy thing to do. How did, how, how was it that that strike wound up being documented and a film being made? It's interesting. I didn't even know it at the time, but three TAs, uh, two in sociology and one in zoology, decided, wow, if, if, if there is going to be a strike, someone should record it. And they got a 16 millimeter handheld film and the three of them walked all over the place during the strike filming it. Uh, a couple of, over the next two months after the strike, they put some footage together in August. The strike ended in April. In August, they showed what they had put together a couple of times at the student union there, the beautiful student union on the lake. And uh, no one could understand. If you weren't immediately involved, you couldn't understand what the footage was about. And one of the guys uh, involved in it got that feedback, and he didn't do anything with it. And then recently, with all the, the grad student organizing, he thought, you know, uh, we should make a better film out of this. And he found uh, the DVDs and started to work on it. And all of us worked on it. There were three or four or five of us maybe who actually worked on it. Um, not just the, uh, the script and everything, but the cinematography, a lot of criticism, many, many takes changes and over many months over the last, um, almost a year to bring it to where it is now, where it's comprehensible. So, uh, actually, I want to. I, I would like to go back just to the to the filming. So you you've got this strike going on. You're obviously you know right in the thick of that whole strike. Um, and so you weren't even aware that that you know that the film was being made that they were filming it. No, I have no recollection at all that that three of the strikers were were filming everything. No. <laughs> that that is a fascinating part to that so so that was just because of, of being involved it's just, it's just I'm, I'm just sort of thinking you know that today we live in such a you know media savvy you know i mean people are live streaming i mean and, and it's just sort of to to realize that in 1970 you know you had to get a camera you had somebody had to know how to do the camera i mean there was this whole level of you know to you know in fact, even at the time for somebody who wasn't actually a filmmaker to do that is kind of unusual, right? Yeah. And there are scenes in there that, uh, I wish we had more footage of because they were very dramatic. So for example, there's one scene, I, I don't know, I don't know if you can even tell where I am, but we're walking down the halls, uh, and I'm wearing a suit and a top coat and everything. Right. I thought that uh, was you. I thought, yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, that's in the, in the legislature, in the state uh, building, in the Capitol. And I testified be, uh, before a joint session of the House and the Senate, I think, on the strike. Because here we're shutting down, you know, the biggest thing in the state of Wisconsin. And the legislature is sitting there and they figure they got to do something. So I go in to testify uh, and basically tell them you can't do anything. I sat there and, <laughs> and, and told the entire legislature of the state of Wisconsin, you can't do anything. We are not mentioned 
because we had no status. TAs had no status. So we did not exist in any statute, in any legislation, regulation, or anything about labor relations. I said, forget it. You can't do anything. And, uh, but eventually, of course, they, they, uh, through the governor, they got an injunction and threatened to put 10 of us in jail forever. And that's how the strike ended. But so that, that was actually a very dramatic scene and, you know, it was front page headlines and the Wisconsin papers and everything. So, uh, but we couldn't capture everything, I guess. So. What was it like to, to look at this footage that A, you didn't know existed, um, and B, you know, really, I mean, you were in the story, so you knew what had happened. You try to figure out how to make that, you know, that story interesting to a modern audience. Right. Right. Well, you know, what, whatever we wanted to do, of course, we're limited by the footage we had. So I think our main uh, goal the last year was just to make it understandable. What this, what in the world was this about? So put it into context. And we ended up, as you see, actually putting the, the words on the screen because otherwise you couldn't understand what you were seeing. So that's how we, we ended up telling this story so someone could understand what it was. Now today, because of all the activity and the only people who are going to be interested in this, you know, are people who will know something about it anyway. So I, I think it's understandable now. Uh, but I think what we wanted to show was a struggle. Uh, obviously, uh, you know, it's, it's 2000 doctoral candidates. Come on, who are we kidding? At one of the great public universities in the country. This is a fair, this is a, a, you can call it elitist today if you want, but, but we didn't think about ourselves that way at all, you know? Uh, and so we did think about ourselves as, as workers. We were elite teachers, but we th th thought about ourselves as workers and we were part of other movements. Uh, one of the other key people in leading the thing was the head of SDS. He was a TA, a math TA, but he was head of SDS and very hey, prominent students for a democratic society. Yeah. And, and, uh, the anti-war movement, I was very active in the anti-war movement and, and the civil rights movement, which was very important in Milwaukee at that time. Of the Madison TA represents not only an extension of campus radical radicalism, into the teaching staff and a crystallization of it in organizational form and concerted action. More than that, it indicates, it symbolizes, it presages a fusion of that academic proletariat with the ferment among the other sections of the public employees. That means with the organized labor movement, which is the decisive social force and the ultimate power that can change this whole rotten war-making system. So that's the story we wanted to tell. This was people who took their, their jobs very seriously, wanted to say about their work, uh, understood they were part of a broader movement, and took a lot of risks. 
And I use that word, at least in the film, uh, at the end, very, very purposefully when I'm interviewed and I talk about risks. What we did was take huge risks. Yes, we were workers, but we were also going through getting credentials. And the people we were striking against were going to have a lot to say about us getting those credentials. So we took a lot of risk. You cannot make change in this country. You cannot organize unions without taking risks. And the, uh, the labor movement, the institutional labor movement in America today is risk averse. They just, they don't take risks. So I use that word on purpose. And what were our risks? It wasn't just jobs. It was careers. I had many confrontations with my dissertation advisor <laughs> across a picket line for three weeks. Hello, you know, so there was a lot at stake here. So the strike ends in April. And if you recall, it was in May that Nixon starts, not Nixon. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Nixon starts bombing Cambodia. Mm -hmm. It, there's nothing covered in the, in the documentary about this. Uh, we called a TAA strike. We struck for a couple of days, a month later over Cambodia, hmm. along with a lot of stuff that was going on around the country, probably uh, in Ann Arbor at least. And, uh, and that was, how does that happen? Well, that happens because we had just struck for 24 days and we were used to it and we knew how to do it. And so he bombs Cambodia and we struck. So what two things, two things. One is I just want to know, you know, Bob, you're still involved in, uh, you know, the anti-war movement and, you know, labor, uh, that, so <laughs> it's a pretty strong through line on that, but at least as somebody who was, you know, again, it, you know, to my mind, it's a very parallel track, how, how, I'm curious about things that you saw in the movie um, and, and what struck you or questions that you have or things that maybe that weren't there? Uh, well, two things. One, the women's voices were there. And, and, that, and I thought that that was, really, that was really good. So let me stop there for a minute, okay? Uh -huh. Because um, uh, women were very, very, first of all, there's big numbers, right? Uh, uh, TAs who were women, and they were very key in, in the organizing of, of it and in the strike, but there was very little footage of women leading the strike. And so, uh, in this last I know, year, I know. So <laughs> in the last year we found, no, we found some other footage that we put in because, uh, because it just would have been wrong. It would have been a misrepresentation to just use the footage that we had from the old film. So we did our best to, uh, show as best we could without having the original footage of women, the role women did play. I understood Bob, but if you'd let me finish, I would have gotten to Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, at least in, in my experience that, you know, the sexism was there and the men were the leaders and the women did the packing up the lunches and the cleaning up and the picketing and whatever. But I, I did note in the film that, um, when there was somebody speaking as a leader, it was always male. Uh, but yes, I, it, and so I was commending you 
on including women in the current footage that you had to, you know, had the, had the picture and then had the voiceover, um, voice under, I guess, in the situation shown. And that's a good thing. And that, I mean, I, I'm, I'm giving you all credit for that um, because I was there in real time and I know what it was like. All the sisters here. That's a great moment. Never mind. <laughs> uh, and the other thing was the music. And of course, I was like, I don't see the music matching what's happening, but at least y'all included music. And I assume, I hope, did music actually happen at the time? Oh, Looks yeah. Like it did. Oh, sure. Yeah. Big part of it, right? It was a big part of our lives. So who, who was leading the songs? I can't answer that. I don't know the information. Okay. Okay. All right. I, I, there's a really good shot of uh, three people on the steps of some building, and it's just yeah. the cameras from behind them. And they look like they're singing their hearts out, but I think the song they're singing is not the song we're listening to. Uh, but I just thought, oh, I wonder if I know that person. That might be somebody who's still active and singing and engaged. I will say this, and you'll appreciate this, that in the, in the year, years that we took to organize the union, three years or so, mm -hmm. before, before the strike, uh, all the classic labor and civil rights movement songs were a huge part of our meetings and activities mm -hmm. constantly. All the classics, uh, mm -hmm. uh, at, at every rally, every meeting, everything we did and on all through the strike, we shall not be moved, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. No, we understand because music and, and chanting are the ways that bring us together collectively. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, and when we, you know, we sing together, we chant together, we breathe together, and there's mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. And then we understood that. It, and mm -hmm. maybe not examined it, at least knew that if you do that, you know. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. uh, Bob, one thing that you had mentioned uh, when we talked yesterday was uh, that you had found that it was really interesting that this film basically sort of sat uh, for 50 years, but it actually was being used, right? It was being used by the TAA. Uh, you know, you have a new recruiting drive every fall. You, every fall, you get another a turnover of four or 500 TAs. And so, yeah, you do a recruiting drive, and they used it uh, every year for the recruiting drive and just for other events that they did. So it's interesting. So it's actually being used as an organizing tool. Yeah. And let me go over that for a minute. We... We consciously, and I mean very consciously, thought of, about creating this union uh, in the face of the great weakness of it, which is the automatic turnover of who we were every four or five years. You know, you finish and move on. And we consciously said, yes, but that means that people will be coming in here four or 500 new TAs every year, and they'll go through this for a couple of years and they're all going to be, have doctorates and they will never have experienced, had a chance to experience being in a union otherwise. And over the years it worked. And many people came out of this as uh, union leaders because they were in a teaching assistance union, the head of the AFL-CIO in Wisconsin, as we know and others who came out of it. And I run into people all the time and they say that was the greatest experience they had, but being 
uh, a member of, the, of that union those years for the next 50 years. Hmm. So as we're going to wrap up, uh, I, I guess one of the things I'm wondering, Bob, is that, you know, your, you know, your, your career wound up being in organizing, um, not filmmaking. So here you are, you know, involved in, in doing a film at this point. And I'm, I'm curious, you know, we, as you know, I mentioned, we live in a very different media world these days. What are you, what are your thoughts about film, um, whether it's an organizing tool, you know, just, just the role of film in the labor movement. Do you have thoughts about that? Well, it should be more important than it is. By the way, I, we have to give the 90% of the credit for this to Jim Russell, whom you've met at, at least online, uh -huh. who, who decided that this had to happen and took the initiative and did all the work on it. We all, we all were just critics, uh, helping him think through, you know, the cinematography and, and putting the pieces together and, and the, the, the overall story, but, uh, he deserves all the credit for this. And I, I, I'm going to ask him if he wants to get on when we get on these radio shows, if he wants to get on with me, uh, to talk more about the film and his own experience. Um, wow. That's a good question. You know, uh, from the two of you, there just isn't look, the institutional labor movement today, come on, there's very little, um, I don't want to use the word use. I can't think of a better word, use of culture generally in the institutional labor movement today, whether it's film or music or whatever, there's very little education going on. So these are terrible shortfalls for us. I think that, I think it's all very important. So it's what, how people learn. That, that's interesting, Bob, because um, I, I think, I, I feel like, at least in the last few years, because of the pandemic, there's been more workshops going on, um, online that people wouldn't, I, well, let me just say, I can speak for the Coalition of Labor Union Women, is that we've had way more educational workshops over the last year and a half than we did when we had to be in person. Because wow, that's great. The cost of it, you know, flying people uh -huh. in the hotels, uh -huh. blah, 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 blah. We've had a series of workshops um, last year where we would offer it on a Thursday night and a Saturday night. That's great. Saturday afternoon so the West Coast folks could come. Uh -huh. And we had, we had great attendance every single time. That's very interesting. Sure. You know, we're doing the basics and, and everything, you know, and especially in the beginning about, you know, getting on Zoom and the technology piece of it because uh -huh. I feel like they couldn't meet. But I have been to like conferences. My 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 gig folder for um 2021 is twice the size of my gig folder for 2020, and that wow. than my gig folder for 2019. Wow. Uh huh. That's yeah. very interesting. Yes, around the world, I've been I've been to two three rallies in the UK at least. Uh huh. Uh huh. Hey, hello, hello. You on Fourth of July? I was at a rally there. So I think that. It just isn't uh, educational conferences that we know them or the educational schools, but they've been going on. Yeah. I'm uh, going on Zoom. Well, let me ask you, Elise, what's your sense of this uh, upsurge that we have at the moment in this country? How deep do you think it is? Or broad? Uh, very deep. Uh -huh. I, I think it's very, I, I think that it's, 
it's um uh the, the, the same sort of you know we, we keep saying woke and awaken but the the you know the the people came back from World War II and uh the Korean War started uh but African Americans were very aware that you know we could go and die for this country but we can't like live inadequate housing we have to go to separate schools and all you know so that civil rights you know churned up out of mm -hmm. that out of that comes you know women's movement and uh anti-war movement and lgbtq movement and i think that this whole there, you know so there's an upsurge and what what are the factors that come together that make that happen is the part that i don't get but i'm not that kind of i'm not an academic either so i haven't done that kind of analysis but the George Floyd kickoff um, uh, and the pandemic convergence brought people in, out in a way that, I mean, when I went into the, in front of the AFL-CIO for Black Lives Matter, I looked at that crowd and I said, I've never seen this diverse a crowd. I've never seen families of all colors and gay people and with their flags and people of color and immigrants and Muslims and Catholics. I mean, Little kids, big kids, everything, you know, some guy rolled around his tutu and roller skates. I was like, this did not happen in 1969, okay? 1970, no. But here it is, this really, really diverse group. And I think that it, it goes deep and it goes wide. So it's, it's, it's next generationers or young folks, um, plus us, you know, radical elders and everything in between that um, is, 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 is mobilized. And, and then the, and and the the um you know the uh the climate change movement is part of it in a way. I mean, what's the little girl that you know? Uh, yeah, from, yeah. Right. I mean, the whole youth. I mean, that age group that's mobilized in a way. So, yeah, I think I think we're in an incredible time. And so this organizing that's going on, all these you know, you know, uh, social justice, and like you know, the Southern Poverty Law Center organizing. You right. Know, you know, right. 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 You know, politics, yeah. you know, you name it. Uh, I think this, I think, yeah. I agree with you. I, I, and I think the Starbucks thing is interesting for a lot of reasons, but, wow. uh, you think about the kids, the young people who Starbucks likes to hire to work as baristas, right? These are all smart kids who are very pro-union to begin with. And they never intended to be in a union. They're, they're just working in a Starbucks or whatever. But they reflect the period you're describing, I think. And they're ready. The, the other interesting thing I just wanted to... to... Uh, it's a contradiction. Starbucks is hiring um, nascently uh, uh, pro-union workers, is what I'm saying. <laughs> no, I, I think you're absolutely... No, I... I... I, I know a bunch of folks who have worked at Starbucks and I've always thought, you know, oh my God, these are, these are folks who totally get it. But, but as you say, Bob, they're, they're very pro union, but they're not necessarily union, you know, activists. Um, and frankly, no union has ever taken, you know, and I think you talked about this a little bit the other day and maybe we can start to wrap up with this, but I mean, you know, the, the model for organizing is to go after big shops. Well, Starbucks, you know, is the complete opposite. I mean, who the hell, what, what union in its right mind is going to, is going to try and organize, you know, what do they have? 9,000 shops or something like that. 
Yeah, twenty-five to forty people. I mean, it, 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 that, there's no there's no union model for that organizing, right? No, no. Uh, hopefully, um, institutional unions don't get tempted. Uh, <laughs> don't get tempted to pick, pick up uh, some easy majorities in some in their local area. Uh, that would be the worst thing that could happen. This movement just has to proceed, proceed as it is as a movement. So, so, so you don't want to see the Teamsters going after the Starbucks workers? I'm talking, talking to the former <laughs> organizing director for the Teamsters here. No, no, th th this thing has to, Richard has a, a big challenge here to just keep th this uh, movement. Yeah. I, it's a it's a real grassroots operation, but but I think your point is that it that's that's actually you know the challenge is to keep it at the grassroots, right? Yep, that's right, that's right. Yep. And, you know, we're having that discussion in our in our local. Um, Chris and I belong to uh, CDW Newspaper Guild Lo News Guild Local three two zero three five, and we got the Baltimore Sun and the Washington Post as the dominant unions, and and Bloomberg. Um, and a whole bunch of, uh, young folks came in last year who were, we just been organized and they were fully like, we're going to defund the police and the, the reporters were, were going, oh no, 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 we can, we, we don't, we don't. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. And they're Very also, interesting. From, and they're also from all these tiny little shops. I, I mean, five people, I, five, <laughs> yeah, five, 10 people. Very interesting. Uh -huh. CWA ordered 200 copies of the book, by the way. Oh, that is very oh. cool. Yeah. Yeah. So the other thing I just wanted to, uh, uh, on, on the, uh, on the film, one of the reasons I was real excited to, to bring the two of you together was that it was just fascinating to me that, you know, two people who I know very well, lifelong, you know, activists, you know, were in essentially the same place at the same time doing the same work and didn't know about each other, which I think, you know, to me as a media person, you know, thinking back, you know, to that time and place, I mean, you know, it, it makes complete sense. You know, you didn't, I can totally see how, you know, that would happen these days, you know, one, one Starbucks in Buffalo starts organizing and everybody knows about it because it's on Facebook yep. and it's on Twitter and you, you know, it's hard not to know about it, but it's completely possible for, you know, Elise to be organizing, you know, the, the, what was it? The BAM? BAM, Black Action Movement. And, and for you not to have heard about it and you're having a, you guys are both having strikes and, and, and don't know about each other. You know, that just wouldn't happen today. Well, that's how, that's what, that's what that young woman film of George Floyd being murdered did. Yes. That would have yes. been an incident that happened in St. Louis and uh, maybe would have made St. Louis news, maybe, but we would never have heard about it in Detroit. Um, and wouldn't have believed it if we heard it, right? I mean, a tree falling in the forest. Yeah, yes. And now because of that, it's like, boom, it's instantaneous. It's all over. Right. Yeah. And that's important. Yeah. Yeah. Which, which is why I think that the film, you know, which, which is, you know, it is an artifact of the seventies, you know, in terms of, you know, the, the, um, what was available and they, 
know, because they were, you know, I don't think they had somebody doing a boom, so the sound is funky, but, you know, it's a valuable document of a, of a time. Um, and in fact, Elise, I wanted to ask you, did, was there any film made about, about band? Yeah, I mean, that's what, that's what occurred to me after I watched the film. Um, I thought, shoot, I, I wonder if anybody, so I'm going to call Barbara Ransby. Okay. Uh, who led the band strike two mm-hmm. and, and see if she knows of anything because, um, yeah, it was a very powerful, powerful moment. What was the, um, what was the life of that movement? Like the TAA still exists, right? What was the life of that? Oh, I, movement? That, you know, it was, it was, um, you know, we, we needed one, I think there was a band three, but you know, basically we were on strike for about a month. Um, and then it, you know, university gave in and said, oh yes, we'll give you 10% black enrollment, which we didn't do. And then BAM two came up, which was in the, the eighties and, uh-huh. and then there was a BAM three. Uh-huh. Going organization as a result of that. Okay. So it recreated each time. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Very interesting. Oh yeah. Cheer. We do that. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, just wrap this up. I talking about the difference in technology, you know, we didn't know what we were doing. Uh, we just wanted to right. pull everyone together. We didn't know what we were doing at that time. Uh, the university of Wisconsin had a very famous, uh, labor studies school, the school for workers, which had a whole building and everything on the campus. And it was, it, you know, it was, a, you know, it was, it was right. Wisconsin. Right. So they had a school for workers. Mm-hmm. So we went, we went there to see if anyone there could help us. And there was a guy there who had some, he wasn't a professor. He had some teaching staff. Well, it's a school for workers. So he was a teacher. He had been an ILG organizer. And he told us stories about his life as another subject. But so we asked him what to do. And this is literally what happened. He pulled out um, a roll of butcher block paper. And he went out in the corridor in the building, the school for workers, and he rolled it out on the corridor, big line of butcher block paper. He said, okay, so you draw every building on the campus and you find every TA in that building and you put his name in that box and you go find them and talk to them. That's how, that's how we learned to organize. A guy rolls out butcher block paper. Imagine that today. Yeah. Right. That is a great story, Bob. That is, I, I have a great, I can't, I, 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 now I wish somebody had got that on the, on the, you know, they've been filming that. I mean, that's, yeah. oh my God. Yeah. Well, yeah. you know, when they, when they, uh, when they make the Hollywood version with the big stars, you know, they can, they can get all that good stuff in there that we didn't yeah. get the first time. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, so who, who, this who guy, uh, I just uh, you talk about the labor movement, by the way, this guy had been sent by the ILG to Central America because remember that was runaway shops, uh. um, shops. So he went down there to organize, to try to raise some wages, you know, to stop them from undercutting the ILG shops in the States. And, uh, he went around and organized workers. Yeah. Central America in what was it? Yeah. Sixties. Yeah. Fifties, fifties and sixties. Yeah. So, um, wow. so he found out afterwards what he was really doing was identifying activists 
And he was actually working for the CIA and he didn't know it until afterwards. Right. And the CIA told the employers and regimes like the Samosas, and they just went in and killed everyone. All of his activists. Oh my God. That was his life as an ILG organizer. Imagine that. I, I can't. That's wow. Well, what is his name? Can is, is does he have to remain anonymous? Well, he was he was in his sixties then. Uh, he was from Boston. I could I could track down his name. Wow. Okay. I, I, I would. I, I think I'm. I know him because Joyce and Hyde Cornblue came out of that, and they're my mentors at the University of Michigan. Oh, of course. Mm-hmm. Oh well, we have connection then. <laughs> because I never met them, but they are my some of my mentors. Yeah. Oh, oh, you guys, Elise, you, Elise, you guys got to get together. At least I'm lucky. here because of them. Yeah. You are really lucky. Good for uh-huh. you. Uh-huh. And, and, and Elise has some, some, some stories that uh, you have got to hear. I, and, and I, and I want to hear them again. So we'll, uh, we'll have to get together and do those, but, <laughs> but, but not, to, not, not at today's show. That's going to. No, no, not today. <laughs> Moving on. Bob, this has been wonderful. Thank you so much for, for bringing us the film. Uh, yes. We really appreciate it, and uh, we'll we'll uh, have to have you uh, we'll have to have you back on uh, to talk about other labor films uh, as, as 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 that comes along. Well, I want to thank both of you for the work you do. Uh, honestly, um, it's not the work I've done, but but you do it, and you do it well, and it's so important. So I just I really want to say that. Thank you, brother. It's terrific what you do. Very important. Yeah, mostly we're thank just trying. So to- thank you. <laughs> Just trying to have some fun and move this movement forward, right, Elise? That's right. All right. All right. Elise always gets the last word. What's our last word, Elise? I'll see you at the movies. There you go. Okay. There you <laughs> go. I'll see you at the movies. Take care now. Take care. Uh, and, be, right and be well. And be well. Thank you. Take you care. too. That's it for today's show. Reminder, the D.C. Labor Film Fest Bread and Roses series will be showing with Babies and Banners online this Thursday, January 27th. And Elise will conduct a Q&A with the director after the screening, when you'll have a chance to talk with her as well. We've got a link to the free screening in the show notes. Thanks for listening. See you next time.